Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Mike McCallowitz. He's a best-selling author of Profit First and many other entrepreneurial books. So, Mike, thank you, thank you for being on the show. Oh, Tatsa, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for setting this up. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you've written so many books, so you've talked to so many entrepreneurs. What's the hardest concept for most entrepreneurs to grasp? Uh, you know, I think most entrepreneurs struggle with the fact that the reason we're in business is not to do the work, but to be the creator of jobs for others. There was a study that came out that identified that only 7% of the world population will ever be entrepreneurs or business owners, which means 93% of the world population is looking for a good job. Our job is not to do the job, it's to create jobs for others. But we start a business, well, by necessity, in many cases, we have to do the work. And we start to believe, well, because I was doing the work from the beginning, I need to do the work forever. And that's not the case. We, we're the inception point, but our job is as quickly and effectively as possible is to start bringing other people who want to do the work to do the work and elevate ourselves to being the visionary. The visionary is someone who sees where we're moving and organizes and choreographs the resources, which is the people, but the technology, the vendors, the clients to work collectively toward an outcome. If we're the ones doing the work, we prevent the progress of the company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That brings me to our next point. When I first started entrepreneurship, like over 20 years ago, entrepreneurship was not very cool. It seems really cool now. I mean, is that funny? You, you find that's kind of, you know, that over, over promotion of it is kind of detrimental to some people? Maybe, maybe. I became an entrepreneur 25 or 26 years ago. And I remember my father looking at me going, Well, when are you going to get a job? <laughs> and I'm like, This is my job. And the definition of entrepreneurship back then was you couldn't get a job. So you became an entrepreneur. Now, the definition if you can't get a job, you become a consultant, right? entrepreneurship has become heralded. And we see in the papers, we see that Sarah Blakely made a pantyhose, cut them in, in her, her dorm room or something. And now she's got a billion dollar company that Mark Zuckerberg was at Harvard and said, I'm dropping out of school to take this idea and blow it up. Movies are made about it. So it, it's heralded. The problem is this, is what we see in the media, Sarah Blakely, Mark Zuckerberg, the guys that found Google, Sergey Brin, they are lottery winners. That is not the typical path of entrepreneurship. The typical path is far different. There's not lots of notoriety. Most businesses aren't extraordinary financial successes, but they can provide an extraordinary lifestyle. Shocking number of entrepreneurs struggle and give up. And uh, I think that's the real journey. And once you understand that, I hope it doesn't curtail people from pursuing it, but I hope we go in with realistic expectations. I think too many people are giving up too soon, saying, I didn't make a billion dollar company in one year. Clearly, I'm a failure. No, the fact you started a company is miraculous. And I'm hoping as an author just to provide folks with the tools and the methods to make the common entrepreneurial journey much more successful, much more of what they dream of. Yeah, for sure. Now, how do you know that you're part of that 7%? Like, you know, what are the signs that you might be an entrepreneur and what are the signs you might be happier having a job? Yeah. So <laughs> I think there's a few indicators. If you are convinced you have a better way, but beyond just saying it, you start toiling with it. That's a sign of an entrepreneur. Everyone has a better idea. So that's not an indicator like, oh, 
I thought of that. We could do that. But the idea is 0.001% of a business. The remaining 99.999% is the sweat. So if you start to take action and you are relentless in that pursuit, you're likely an entrepreneur. If, if you're someone who's not derailed by problems and mistakes and failures, you're probably an entrepreneur. If you're, you're someone that you have a problem, you're like, oh, I suck, and you just lament in it, you're probably not. But if, if you're someone that you have a failure and you say, damn it, why do I have a failure? But at least I found a way not to proceed. I'll see, seek a new way. And you start to iterate, you're much more likely an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are someone who's willing to take risk because they can see the reward in the long term. I think a common person sees the rewards only in their immediate actions and are determining their decisions around immediate rewards, where entrepreneurs seem to have the ability to delay reward by taking big risks now. Mm, very good. I can see where you're coming from there. So entrepreneurship involves, well, you have lots, there's always something to do. The next thing, how should entrepreneurs approach prioritization so they can get to a point where they're more the visionary and less inside the business? Yeah, I actually dedicated an entire book to this because I concluded that the biggest challenge business owners face is actually knowing what their biggest challenge is. Most of us revert to simply what's the next apparent thing that presents itself. Tats, you or I could hop in our email right now, and there's a litany of things we can address. But we will simply pick the next thing we see, and we'll determine if we want to do it, which means we apply the urgency to it. The best way to navigate entrepreneurship is to know what the business needs from you. So in the book I'm talking about, it's called Fix This Next. What I did was create a hierarchy of needs. So basically, the short essence of this is best described by a chain. If there was a chain between me and you, the way to make the chain stronger, if that was our job, is not to make every link stronger. So most entrepreneurs do. They say, I'm working on everything, but nothing seems to improve. Because the reality is with the chain, if you and I fix every link, it'll continue to snap just as easily at the weakest link until this weakest link is strengthened. So the first thing is to diagnose and say, where's the weakest link? Once we know that, you and I only have to fix one thing, the weakest link. And now the entire chain is stronger and a new weakest link presents itself. And we fix that one. So to determine what to do in your business next, simply investigate where your biggest roadblock is within your business, that bottleneck. Once you identify it, concentrate your energies on resolving that. The other elements of your business must continue, but you concentrate energy on improving that one element. And you'll notice all of a sudden your business goes up yet another level. Then identify the next weakest link in your business, improve that. And that's how you move a business forward. It's not the mentality of fixing everything. Mm, yeah, very good. And this, this could be along the, the same vein, but what's the balance between as an entrepreneur learning all the different areas of business and doing to figure out what's working? What, how do those two concepts interact? So you're not on one side or the other. It's funny, I, I just got off the call. I was interviewing an entrepreneur and what they do is they make soaps. And what's interesting, they make these natural soaps that the pH balance is very important. And what she explained is, um, even though the batches follow the same process just through the natural effect, these are big batches, hundreds of gallons, that the final product isn't consistent on the pH balance. So the final step in the product is actually analyzing the pH and start adjusting it. But you never know how much to add necessarily. There's no rules. So you add a little bit, you take a little bit away. So there's a little bit of this kind of art at the end. And she said, we studied this. And there's a certain point where all the research becomes exhaustive and you're not getting any more gain. It was actually in the experimenting, the doing, where they started to figure out their own system. 
and they're actually still even tracking today, she said, as they move along, ways to tweak their process. So I thought that was just a good example of the question you asked, is there's a certain point that learning is exhausted and it no longer provides benefit. There was a, a saying from, I think it was Colin Powell, who said, all the war plan in the world goes out the window the second the first bullet shot. It's, it's like business. You can plan and study and learn as much as you want, but the second you open those doors, there's so many variables you can't anticipate and they play with each other in such unique ways that the problems will present themselves uniquely. So I suggest spend enough time learning where you've confidence that you're going in with perception, that you will have enough knowledge that when problems present themselves, you know those are problems. That's the point of learning where I think it's now relevant and anything beyond that may become exhausted. So simply get to the point where you can pick out problems, then start doing because that's when the problems present themselves and you don't have to apply yourself to find solutions. Mm, wonderful. Now, one of the books that you have many uh, different versions with other co-authors is Profit First. Oh, right, right. What's, uh, what's one of the common questions you get about uh, that book? Yeah, it's funny. So I wrote Profit First and I'm so blessed now. We have over a million books in circulation. It's been translated, I think we're at 25 languages, which for a, a nonfiction book is pretty uncommon. I'm, I'm just humbled and honored and excited all at the same time. And what I realized is Profit First, I wrote as a foundational platform for all business. But if you own a dental practice, or if you have a construction firm, or if you're a minority business owner, there's different applications. In fact, my favorite book is by Susan Mariga. She wrote Profit First for Minority Business Enterprises. And immediately I got a call from someone that says, it doesn't matter who I am, uh, minority or not, business is business. How come Profit First would change at all? And it was a good question. I said, oh, well, here's how it changes. The experience that someone that may be an MBE, minority business enterprise owner, someone who's an MBE, their background experience, the environment they grew up in, the expectations they have in, in the community they're in is different than another business owner. And therefore, Profit First, as I wrote it, may not be relatable. This book you can relate to. And while practically the application is the same, the experience, the stories, the perspective is relatable, and therefore we are willing to try it. That's why so many of these derivative books came out. The foundational essence is the same, but the way it's communicated, the stories and examples, and there are even tweaks to the systems work for these individual practices. And my hope is that we call them these, these other books, the derivative books, Profit First for XYZ, that people will discover these derivative books specific to their business, and then they'll use the original Profit First book I wrote for the inspiration and the foundational understanding. Mm, that makes sense because the stories will connect the, the individual to the, the motivation to, to push through and make the changes necessary. That's right. That's right. I mean, if, if I'm a dentist, for example, and I say, I read Profit First, it's an interesting idea, but it's not going to work for me. I'm a dentist. You can justify that belief because the book doesn't talk about dentists. It, it, it's industry agnostic. But then you see, well, there's profit first for dentists out there. And while the concepts are essentially the same, now you hear story after story of dentists employing it. You, you hear how buying like an x-ray machine, how the profit first system supports that purchase. And now it clicks in people's heads. So that's why I think it's so powerful because they hear and see their own stories in those books. Hmm. I can see that applications in, in many businesses, you know, some foundational stuff. And then sort of narrowing it to stories that resonate with a core audience. Uh, so they can't use that. That's not me uh, excuse. 
Right. I, yeah, I read uh, E-Myth early on in business. I think it's a foundational book every business owner should read. And when I was reading E-Myth, I too, at a computer company, was saying, I get it, but I don't know if this will really work for a computer company. But then I found E-Myth for IT providers or wherever it was. And I was like, I got it. It does work for me. And here's the proof. And it was enough to push me over the edge and actually implement some of the strategies. And sure enough, they were miraculous for my business. Yeah, I guess that's what it is, right? With, with a book or a resource, it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff has been around, but it's, can you talk to your audience? You can just give them that, just that little bit to just push them over the edge. Maybe they have heard it 10 times before, but is it that, that next thing that's just going to push them over the, the edge in a positive way? Yeah, that's what you need. So what I do in all my books, actually, is I invite readers to email me, and they do. And I'm at the point of, admittedly, I can't handle all myself. I've hired someone simply to manage reader emails and give me a download, a summary at the end of each day of who have we heard from so I can still respond. And that often pushes people over the edge. They say, read your book, love the concepts, love the ideas. And all those things say to me, okay, intellectually, you're stimulated, but have we gotten you taking action? So I responded in a video saying, you can do this and let's start small. Let's start slow and let the system grow with you. And I found that that has helped the uptake of all my books. Wow. I loved, um, I, I was checking out your recent updates to your website and I noticed you had at the bottom, like, are you a fan of Mike? And then <laughs> you, had, Mike. you don't like this guy or something. And yeah. then, I, you know, of course, out of curiosity, I clicked on them. And then it, it, I think one of them went to an anger management page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing that, brother. Yeah. So I think we all have a responsibility to express our genuine selves as we are. So that website, the way I write my books, it's the real me. And it's not for everyone. Some people are like this guy makes too much light of entrepreneurship. He doesn't take it seriously enough. I am deadly serious about entrepreneurship, but I'm also believe that we need to be jovial and have fun. And that's just my style. And so on my website, I have these Easter eggs where you navigate the website and you'll come across things unexpected that are radically different than any other site you've seen in the authorship space, perhaps anywhere. So I have somewhere on that site, you'll, you'll see my name, which is very hard to pronounce my last name for most people. And there's a, a ways to pronounce it on the website, but it totally makes fun of my own name. And then there's at the very bottom of the site, when you're navigating, you know, who, how many people look at the copyright and stuff like that? So down there, when you navigate, it says, hey, are you a super fan? Click here, become a stalker. And are you, can you not stand this guy? And it goes to anger management. The funny thing is we, you know, we track the click-through rates and stuff. That anger management, we are sending literally hundreds of clicks a day to the anger management site for years. I've never got a call thanking them. Like I'm the, we're the number one referral source. And I never got to, Hey, what are you doing for us? This is amazing. <laughs> Nothing. That's great. I love it. <laughs> it definitely sets you apart. You mentioned Easter eggs. So I'm thinking that you're paying attention to this. What are other businesses that you've seen uh, use this kind of method to, to engage? Yeah, the truth is very few and <laughs> shocked because what's the goal of the website? The, the goal of the website is to serve the customer, but also it acts as a brochure. The, the more we can get the customer to engage in the website, the better. And Listen, the ultimate is if we can get a customer so excited about the website, they tell other people, you got to check this out. And uh, you see it on YouTube and stuff or these little memes where someone's like, you got to see this video. And a video explodes because it's entertaining or funny or emotional in some capacity. Well, the same opportunity exists for our websites. I don't see them in other authors' websites. It's just person in suit on stage, pose, 
their one favorite picture from high school repeated over <laughs> and over again. And it's like, my God. So what I did, I said, well, that's what my contemporaries are doing. I'm going to do something that no one does. I have dozens of pictures of me up there, which some of them are extremely self-deprecating. I've noticed and taking ideas from other websites. There's this one beer website that was just really cool. Instead of saying like, you know, here's our selection of beers, it said, hang, let's, you know, let's have a beer together or something. And you click on this button and you can crack a beer, a virtual one, and it pours into a cup. And I'm like, wow, that's really engaging and fun. They had their little mascot running around. Every time you lay on a page, you see this dog kind of run past the page. And it's like, oh, this is cool. So you kind of try to follow the mascot. So I've taken ideas from there. But I'm also constantly innovating. One tip is listen to your customers. And in regards to my name, people are like, how do you pronounce your last name? Michaela what? It's Michalowitz, but no one can say it. And I get it. So someone started using like nicknames for me. And one nickname is like, oh, you're Mike Motorbike. Remember that in, in grade school, the Mike Motorbike? I'm like, yeah, that's what my friends called me. So I set up a website called Mike Motorbike. And that's now my, my main website. If you go to Mike Motorbike, forward you on to me. And my designer actually just today came back with another Easter egg they set up for it, which I think is very fun that when you go only to Mike Motorbike, in the next two weeks, it'll be set up. You'll get this Easter egg, hopefully to get you further engaged. I will tell you this. We track our website statistics. The more Easter eggs we have, the better retention we have. People stay on the site longer and we're getting more traffic, which I can only presume is people saying, you got to check out this website. I love it. I love it. Now, Mike, you do a ton of interviews. You host a ton of guests as well. So you get asked so many different questions. What's, what's a question you wish someone asked you or something, you know, something no one's really kind of gone there and you're like, you know, I wish I could share this. Is there anything that, that comes to mind? Yeah, no one asks. It's unbelievable. Quite rarely asks. Maybe. Yeah, rarely, rarely, because it's it's unbelievable. Some of the questions I get, it's like, "Hey, a beard? Uh, what's up with the beard?" And something. It's like, "Oh, let's talk about beards today." Uh, which is, by the way, just COVID did this, and my wife said, "Don't shave." I like a beard, and I'm like, "You like it stays. If the wife likes, it stays." I guess, I guess, what I think the future beholds or holds, and I believe. We're in, particularly in the authorship space, because that's the space I know best. I believe augmented reality, virtual reality is going to be a forerunner in so many spaces that we can't imagine. I try to visualize where books are going and I, I believe we're moving toward engaging books. Like where I, the reader, am in such a, an immersion with the book that I'm actually in the book, that I, the reader, can perhaps talk to the author and ask questions. And now I'm in a one-on-one -on -one room. My one of my sons has the Oculus video game one. And I think it's the original. It's not even the most current. I put it on and I was like, holy cow. I feel like I am sitting on a beach right now for real. Like this, you can tell it's a digital world, but it was shockingly real. And my head's like, oh my gosh, if I can get my readers, the community, I'm trying to serve that engaged. I think there's applications in therapy. Could you imagine you lose a loved one or something and you didn't get to reconcile your relationship? Well, a therapist, properly trained and properly positioned, may be able to have allow that conversation to happen face to face now with that past one is loved, that, that the loved one has passed. Like, there, there's so many applications coming out with virtual reality that I think opportunity is massive in front of us. I don't get asked about the future that much, and I think that's a big one. Yeah, that's huge. I think you're putting together some video video book resource well, so it's, I feel yeah, like and kind, it's kind of self-serving. Um, yeah, I'm leaning that way. Uh, if literally we were filming yesterday, but it's masterclass on steroids. 
it's not there yet where it's full immersion. I was talking with this company. I'm like, how do we get it where someone can put on an Oculus or equivalent and say, hey, Mike, in chapter three, you said this. I think it doesn't apply to my business. I wonder how I could make it apply. And then they get a virtual response using deep fake technology where it's, it's just like this. I think that's coming. I want to be in the forefront of that. Oh, that's going to be great. Well, well, thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge, Mike. We appreciate it. Pat, it's been a joy being with you. Thanks for having me, brother. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Pat's talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes entrepreneurial tips and more see you over there This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.